And welcome to the studio, everyone here with Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. My name is, of course, Alexi Boyd, and I'm very pleased to be with you here for another week, despite having the loogie, which oddly always affects me in summer. But um, I've got the whole Stevie Hicks going on today, so looking forward to speaking with you and my special guest today here on Small Biz Matters in the Triple H studios and across the community radio network around Australia. So today we're talking about something that I think is quite poignant at this time of year. It's about getting our act together, starting a new year afresh, some New Year's resolutions, if you will. I'm not a fan of those, by the way, but I think it's a good time to take stock, start to think differently and in a more unique way about your business. And of course, today here on Small Biz Matters, and always, we have guests which are here to educate us. It doesn't matter if you're a plumber or a bookkeeper or a consultant or a restaurateur, we all have pretty much the same issues going on with our businesses and we are here at Small Biz Matters to solve them. So we're looking at um, the importance of surrounding yourself with good people. Uh, there's always um, finance, of course, and that's that's pretty much a must for having someone who is the right fit. It's really important that you get along with this person, you can communicate with them, you can be very open and honest about how your business is going. Um, and in a way, they almost provide a bit of a support for you when things aren't going so well either. A lot of um, people believe that CFOs, uh, chief financial officers, is a term that's bandied around largely in the corporate world. But a lot of these people are beginning to turn to the small business community and offer some support. And um, they want to bring the small business community this incredible value and resource that they have been to the corporate world and bring it to us, which is really great. And today uh, we've got Wayne who's here and he's, we're very excited to have you on the show, Wayne. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me here today, Lexi. Um, now, today we're going to be talking a little bit about a concept which is um, which is your own, which I'm really um, I'm intrigued by actually, and it's how a simple bucket uh, can revolutionise your way of thinking when it comes to your business. So, just take me through a little bit about um, broadly what what's your experience, what's your background, what do you do now, and why is it you're so passionate about helping small business in this way, in this in this regard as a as a chief financial officer. Okay, thanks, Alexi. Well, I've been a fully qualified chartered accountant for well over 30 years now. And about 20 years ago, I was working for an American startup company in Australia. Now, I had a boss in Sydney, a boss in Hong Kong, a boss in London, and a boss in America. That's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of Skype meetings. <laughs> well, we didn't have Skype that back then. It was all phone calls and, you know. Did you have that centre console sitting in the middle of the boardroom table that would communicate with everyone all at once? It was like a little Dalek sitting in the middle talking to you? No, unfortunately, Americans have no concept of time. So it was the mobile <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning every oh, week. Oh, that's painful. All right. They could, couldn't understand time zones. Mm-hmm. But, and in the end, I got really sick of the fact that if I was trying to change something in the business, I couldn't because I had to go through three, four, five people all the time. So I made the decision then that I only really wanted to work with people who could actually make decisions. Mm. And in Australia, when you're looking at businesses, it basically comes back down to small or medium business owners because they're the people who can make a decision, act on it and start doing things. But at the same time, I realised that these business owners couldn't afford to pay me you know, what I was earning as a corporate salary through the process. Mm. So that's when I decided then to create my outsource CFO business and basically offer my services on a basically a part-time basis for a fraction of the cost of a full-time employee. So do you think that's something that is a, is a quite a difficult um, a jump 
for people who come out of the corporate world and almost have this presumption that they're going to be earning similar, eventually similar rates and then they get a bit of a rude shock. Is that a bit of a transition process for people moving out of corporate as consultants into the small business community? Well, it's like anyone working from a corporate job to a consultancy type job. You've got to when you're in a corporate job, you're not necessarily out there selling yourself to new clients all the time. Mm. Whereas when you move into a consultancy, you've actually got to be pretty active in trying to help promote yourself and get yourself out there so people know you. I was pretty lucky in the beginning. I had a lot of people I'd work with that I, you know, bounce from different roles and different organisations through the process. Um, but yeah, it can be hard. And you know, I'm always pretty active. I don't stop today trying to talk to people and, and get out there and get in front of people. What's yeah. your top tip for people who are? Moving into that consultation world, what's your top tip for keeping, uh, I guess, abreast of, of sales and marketing in that community? Um, well, I'm mentoring a guy at the moment who wants to move in that sort of process. And, and it comes back to while you're in a corporate world, build up your profile, get out there and talk to people. And if you want to be out there, get out there and be in front of people as a thought leader. So get out on things, places like LinkedIn all that sort of, and actually put some constructive thoughts out into the marketplace. Get people to think of you as someone who actually has a brain and can use it and has some thoughts. Now, not everyone's going to agree with you, but that doesn't matter. Um, And if you can do that for three, four years or whatever, a couple of years, then when you take the step out, you're in a position where you have some sort of following and people you can start talking to. So that transition process is really something you need to lead into. You can't really draw a line in the sand and just go, right, I am now officially a consultant. I'm going to expect the work to start landing in my lap. No, you can't. You've got to do a bit of practice. You've got to, well training, put the training wheels on, get yourself ready for it. Do you think LinkedIn is, is the one and only platform uh, for business-to-business communication? I've been having this big discussion with people out there in the sales and marketing world who are still who still really do believe that Facebook has a place, but I, I just feel like it's really disassociating itself with the business community and I get better traction on LinkedIn. What's, what's your opinion on that for consultants? Like, I've got two businesses. One deals with personal wealth coaching and one is with the, the CFO work. The, oh, so you've got a foot in both camps. So, so Facebook works for the personal stuff, but it does. it's very hard on LinkedIn. And then conversely, for the CFO stuff, the business-to-business, LinkedIn, I find, is a better avenue. Mm. But mm. even still, I, I use LinkedIn more as... Um, as a thought process and for people can go look up and say, hi, he's active, he does think. I don't really use it as a marketing tool. I really like what you're saying there is that you actually think for yourself. You're not just regurgitating other people's articles or other people's thoughts and just going, yeah, this is really good. You're actually creating new content. Um, Is what's the best avenue, do you think, for doing that, creating content um, to position yourself as the expert? Uh, Anyway, as long as you get content that someone wants to listen to and add value, then you put it together. Mm. Sometimes it's video... Sometimes it's easy just to do just article posts, whatever. Just get content out. What's your best? Um, what's your best uh, little app to use or a little program to use that makes putting content together a little bit more relevant in a graphic sense? Do you use one of those fivers or anything like that to? to no, put I've together? got a, I've got a little banner maker program I've used for years that helps me, you know, cut and paste and create things. But yeah. You know, I'm an accountant by trade. I'm not very creative. <laughs> um, the creative That's part a very of my, small hat. <laughs> the creative part of my family is my wife, not me. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm pretty basic. I'm, you know, I just try to get good content out there, and if it doesn't look the pretty well, you know, so be it. Yeah, exactly. I guess it's what you keep saying. It's it's not about what it looks like. It's about 
people listening to it and actually engaging with it and and thinking of you as a thought leader. Correct. Mm. So that's that's quite an important process, I think, is is to think about a lead in time when you're moving into that world. Now, tell me about that whole CFO role because the CFO, I think. Look, I'm I'm still, I guess, a little bit old-fashioned. There was a magazine called CFO, was there not? It still is. It still is. It's still out there, which just, I guess it just centres itself around the corporate universe, which more and more we are hearing in the media is such a tiny, weeny little uh, strain of, of where the business community is in the whole of Australia. Why are more CFOs moving into the small business community? Well, small business, like corporates, face a couple of problems. And they're common across small and um, large businesses, but the, the problem's more exacerbated in the small business space because just about every business owner I know is really smart in what their business is about. Mm-hmm. They know whatever, they, if they're a plumber, they're in waterproofing, or if they're in digital marketing, they're all really smart. But very few of those people have been trained up in finance and in numbers. And typically what I see with, with businesses, they typically have a problem in managing their cash flow they typically have a problem in understanding what's in their financial numbers. And a lot of the times they don't have anyone as a sounding board to bounce things off. They may have staff, but I've found that when you ask a staff member and you put a crazy idea in front of a staff member, they're too scared to say you're an idiot. Mm. Um, and they go and they nod their head and you go do something which is really crazy. So something, someone like me can sit back and go give you as an independent sounding board, can help you manage your cash flow better so that you don't end up growing broke and can actually sit down and help you interpret your numbers so you understand where you're really making or not making your money. And that's, that's the same as big business, just the fact that they can afford someone like me full time and have, you know, I remember when I was working at Optus, I had 40 people working for me at that stage, but that was a multi-billion dollar company that could afford that. Small businesses can't afford to do that, but they still need to understand what's their cash flow doing, what's their profit loss look like, and they need someone to help them giving a sounding board. Let's talk about those reports because, um, in a way, they need to be the backbone of any decision-making that you do. What do you think is the number one, if everybody's sitting there going, oh, I find it so overwhelming, I don't know how to read these things, what would be the number one report you think businesses, small business in particular, should, should get themselves familiar with? Well, the biggest problem I see when I talk to small businesses, and I'll give, I'll give you an example of someone I sat down with last week. They're a small business owner here on the North Shore. They run a digital marketing company. And we started talking to them about, you know, how they can grow their business and what makes the money. Now, they've got several different components to their business. And I asked them, okay, well, let's sit down. If you're going to grow your business, pretty much for most businesses, 20% of your business gives you 80% of your money. So let's focus on the 20% of your business and grow that. I said, well, let's see how we can work out that. And I had a look at their financial reports and, you know, they're pretty, they proudly handed across their financial statements prepared by their accountant and their profit and loss was sitting there in alphabetical order. And I went to them, okay, there's nothing in here that can help you work out where you're making your money. They had one account in their profit and loss that was called Projects. Now, they run about four different streams of business. So one line in their profit and loss had revenue from four things. I said, well, which, which area makes the most money for you? They had no idea. I started looking at costs. Now, they use contractors and internal staff. And I said, well, how do you know which contractors are working on which projects and which group of projects? And in your staff, 
how much staff are you using on projects versus how much are you using on intern? I said, at the end of the day, I can't look at your profit and loss and you can't look at your profit and loss and tell me whether social media marketing or SEO or website building is your most profitable business stream. Because you've got it all sitting in advertising and marketing. It's all buried under lines. And I, and mm. I said, there's no way I can sit down with you today and say, if we're going to grow the business, let's grow this park that's making the most money. They had no idea where their business was sitting there. And they've, all the profit and loss basically was useful for. The accountants love it because it lets them work out the taxable income. And that's about it. The rest of it was really, you know, rubbish. So people... Typical small business owners don't know anything about finance, so they just take their accountant or their view and just do... If you get your typical zero or Quicken or whatever, the chart of accounts is in alphabetical order. They go, oh, that must be right because that's the typical view. And they Never just... use templates. Templates do not represent your business. Yeah. So, and, that's a, and that's a classic example. These guys, they wanted to grow their business, but they had no idea where to start because their financial reports weren't telling them. And I see this time and time and time again. You know, it's, it's so common out there and just people don't realise it. So let's do some practical strategies here. Uh, here's a, obviously from, from what I'm, I'm getting, you're saying a good starting point is have a look at your sales codes, have a look at your revenue streams and split them up. I have yet to meet a business who cannot at least split their revenue stream into two. There's got to be at least two ways that you're making money. As a starting point, start looking at each invoice or each incoming revenue that comes in, put it to a particular code and actually make it represent where you're making money. And then also another good tip is to look at maybe their staffing and encourage their staff to put a very basic timesheet together where they're just logging their hours against a particular task. And it doesn't have to be overly complicated it doesn't have to be eight or ten different ways that they're that they're spending their time but it's more are you spending it as you as you indicated are you doing it on social media marketing if we use our example Mm -hmm. that you had earlier or are you doing it on internal stuff or are you doing it on website building so what is it that you're working on irrespective of which client it is at the moment but just do you think that's a good basic starting point to make that chart of accounts mean something well the easiest way I think about talking to people about it, and that's why I created the bucket concept. I go to people and say, look at your business and break it down into your main activities. And then think of each of those as a bucket. Then in that bucket, you want to put any revenue related to that bucket, any costs related to that bucket. And like if we take that digital marketing company I was talking about, I'd say to them they needed about six buckets. Mm-hmm. They had four pro- real main products, some miscellaneous revenue and some overhead. So if they just started thinking in six buckets, okay, every time I get a piece of paper, I've got to pay a bill, I earn some money, which bucket do I throw that in? And then suddenly, once they've got the buckets, they can go, okay, let's add up bucket A. How much money does bucket A make? Then we add up bucket B. How much money does bucket B make? Oh, hang on a sec. Bucket B is making a lot more money than bucket A. Oh, if I'm going to grow the business, bucket B is potentially where I want to be. They look at bucket C. Oh, hang on a sec. I'm losing money in bucket C. Why am I offering that product? Why am I offering that service? Can I make it profitable? Or if I can't, stop offering that service. But until they start putting stuff into these buckets, as I said, the buckets is a simple concept for people to understand. It's, you know, you you talk about chart of accounts and codes and stuff, but to be honest, when you talk to a business owner, their eyes glaze over when you start talking about that. When you say, let's think about it in buckets, they go, oh, I understand that. I can now do that. I can go talk to my people, my bookkeeper, my accountant or whatever, and I can do it. And that's why I love the bucket concept. It's just Mm -hmm. a simple thing for people to 
to grasp and there's so many different ways you can use the bucket concept that helps business owners. It's amazing. We're going to take a short break here and then when we come back we're going to talk a little bit more about the the bucket syndrome, (laughs) the bucket concept and how small businesses can use it to grow their business. You're listening to Small Biz Matters here on Triple H and across the community radio network. I'm Alexi Boyd. We'll be back after this. So today we're talking to Wayne. We're talking about buckets, which sounds a little bit odd. Uh, Wayne is a former highfalutin corporate CEO who is bringing his expertise down to uh, small business. I shouldn't say down to, I should say up to small business. Correct. And it's a rather interesting concept. It's new, it's vibrant. At the beginning of the program, we were talking about thinking for yourself, introducing new concepts, being out there and writing articles for places like LinkedIn as, as part of your marketing strategy. But I really appreciate this concept, Wayne, because it, um, I guess it, it makes it simple. And it helps people to understand their finances to help their business grow. So, but just before the break, we were talking about the buckets and um, I guess a way of, different way of looking at your profit and loss, which is that sort of traditional uh, report that we look at mainly at the end of the year when, when the accountant spits it out. How should we be throwing that out and starting again and modernising the P&L in our businesses? Well, as I said, the first starting point is to break... Like, the buckets will vary depending on business to business. So, you know, the example we talked about before, their buckets were their four revenue streams. This is the digital marketing agency. The digital marketing Mm -hmm. agency. But if you want to... Like, the aim is potentially you're starting with a bucket where you're creating like a mini profit and loss for each areas of your business. But even then when you've got the buckets for your areas of... Each of your areas of business, that's not necessarily enough because... If you're in a business who wants to grow, you're going to go out there spending money marketing, advertising, promoting yourself to try and grow your business. So you need to understand Business 101. If you spend more to get a customer than that customer's worth to you, well, you're doing what I call growing broke. Every customer you add is costing you money. And I, time and time again, I see lots of small businesses, so what they do is they're growing their business... And they're sitting back and they come back a year later saying, I've doubled my revenue, I've tripled my revenue, I've had all these extra hassles, but I've got no more money in the bank. What's happened? And what's happened is they don't actually understand that they're adding customers that are not necessarily profitable enough for them. And that's one of the problems of a traditional profit and loss. You don't understand that. And that's where the bucket concepts can help you again. So what I say in that is you actually have what I call sub-buckets. So let's take this digital marketing company and let's say they wanted to grow, they decided they wanted to grow their um, social media management part of the business. So I'd say to them, okay, we've already got a bucket that has your social media management in it, but now in that bucket, I want a bucket. Every time you spend money to acquire a customer, put it in that sub-bucket. Every time you spend money to manage someone's social media, you put it in another sub-bucket. So this might be the contractors, uh, the advertising for that particular area of your business, that all belongs in that bucket. Yeah, so if you spend money advertising to get some new social media marketing business, it goes into the acquisition cost bucket. If you pay a contractor to actually manage someone's social media, it goes into the basically direct cost of sales bucket. If you spend time, um, you pay for marketing or whatever, so you can understand what you're spending to get a customer and what it's costing you to run a customer. And what that allows you to do is is a couple of things. It allows you to actually work out some really key performance indicators for your business. Like Business 101, as I said, you want to spend... You don't want to spend $100 to get a customer worth $80. But if you don't know how to measure that, you can't tell that. 
And that's where these sub-buckets come in. So, for example, if you've got a sub-bucket that is tracking all of your acquisition costs, at the end of the month you can say, okay, then I spent $1,000 on marketing and, and getting customers this month. I got 10 customers. Therefore, it cost me $100 per customer. There's a metric you can say, I've spent $100 to get this customer. Now, the other side, you can use the sub-bucket where you've got all, you're tracking all of the um, cost to deliver the service. You can work out how much that customer is giving you each month. You can say, okay, what's their revenue less their direct cost of sales? So you're getting contribution. Divide that by the number of customers and you've suddenly got, I've got a contribu- contribution per customer. So you've got a couple of key metrics that you can get in your business that a traditional profit and loss doesn't give you. So you know how much you're spending each month to get new customers and you know how much each customer is worth to you each month. Now, if you do a couple other things, if you work out how long you keep a customer, suddenly you can work out what the lifetime value of a customer is. So let's say you get a customer that's going to spend with you $100 a month and you work out they stay with you for 12 months. So that's $1,200 that that customer gives you. Now, if you're spending $2,000 to get that customer, well, you're going broke. But if you're spending $200 to get that customer, well, you're making $1,000 out of them. So you can suddenly say, well, how much can I spend marketing? People say to me all the time, how much should I spend on my marketing? And I turn around saying, well, how much is a customer worth to you? Therefore, how much can you spend in your marketing to get that customer? If a customer's only worth 50 bucks, don't spend 60 bucks to get them. Do you need to think of, and I haven't come across this concept before, um, just chatting to you now, I'm beginning to think that it's a, bef- a before, during and after for a, for a new client. So the before is the acquisition, how much are you spending to get that? The during is what is that person worth to you, which obviously is going to be impacted on the before costs. And the after is how long have they been with you? So there's almost a three-phase um, understanding of what that client is over the lifetime, how long were they there, how long did it cost you to get them, and at the end, what were they worth to you per month now that you've seen, had them for a specific length of time? Correct. And, and if you take your traditional profit and loss, it's not in a format that you can actually work out financially what that means. Some people will go, oh, I think a customer's worth X, or I think it cost me Y. But without actually sitting down and doing the numbers, it's really hard to do it. And as I said, time and time again, I've seen pe- businesses grow and grow broke, because they're throwing all this money to grow their business, not understanding that they're spending more than they're getting back. Now, now you're talking and my brain is building spreadsheets as we speak. It's quite funky, actually. I've got this <laughs> little matrix thing going on. But what do, we, what do you say to people who um, who's, are just not wired that way, who, who do not necessarily automatically start putting numbers into boxes and understand what you're saying from an Excel-y, spreadsheet-y kind of way? How do you... Uh, speak to them and get them to understand that the numbers mean something but they don't you, you might not necessarily be able to put them into a format well the formats to some extent irrelevant what i say to small business owners is most small business owners you know if they've got a bookkeeper or someone helping them through the process doing the numbers if you explain the concept to them that you want to understand buckets like for example alexi's a bookkeeper if you went to alexi and said alexi wayne's told me that we need to start tracking stuff in buckets can you tell me how in zero I can do that? And Alexi's going to come back to you and say, oh, we can do this, this and that. And suddenly your bookkeeper is now putting your stuff in buckets for you. And then yeah. you say to your bookkeeper, now give me some reports to tell me how much money I'm making on this part of my business. I don't want to see a total. I'll see a total profit and loss, but let's put the stuff in buckets. 
Now, Alexi, I now need to track my acquisition costs. Can you help me work out how I track my acquisition costs for that bucket? I'm, I don't tell business owners to do it because that's not their skill set. They want to focus on what they're good at. What they need to do is make sure that their support resources, like their bookkeepers or other accountants, can do it for them and let them crunch the numbers, do the work, and then produce meaningful reports that the business owner can use. Then you can make decisions. So this is this is almost a must, really, for business growth, in your opinion. It has to be, because like, where it really, if you think about this, if you're looking at growing your business, if you look at your numbers and go, okay, it's costing me a hundred dollars to get a customer, and they're only worth a hundred and twenty dollars. I'm only making twenty bucks a customer. Well, what do I do now? Most people, if they don't know those numbers, have no idea. But now you can sit down and say, okay, then. Maybe there's a way I can get my customer for cheaper. Maybe I don't spend $100 getting a customer. Maybe I can get them for $80. Or, hang on a sec, what, if I can, what can I do to increase the revenue? Maybe I can cross-sell them something. So I can, my $120 becomes $150. Or how do I reduce the cost to deliver that product so that it becomes lower? And if I do that and grow the revenue, my $120 goes to $150, suddenly goes to $180. Or, and how, next question is, how do I keep them as a customer longer? So suddenly they're not there for, for 12 months. You make some way to make them there for 18 months. You can now start making tactical decisions. You go, how do I reduce acquisition costs? And, and you can start measuring it whether it's effective. How do I improve the contribution? You can measure it and see it's effective. How do I keep them longer? And you can start measuring these stuff because you've got a metric to combine them against. In your traditional profit and loss, you do any of this stuff, you've got no idea whether what you're doing is working or not. And, that, and the key thing that I talk to people about is business doesn't stay the same. It's always changing. You have to change, but you need to understand whether you're changing for the good or the bad. There's something else in the profit and loss that you haven't even mentioned, which I think is quite interesting, which is overheads and expenses. Do you think that's a quite an irrelevant <clears throat> bucket when it comes to business growth? And in a way, those are the line items that should be simplified as much as possible. Uh, and really, office expenses should just be everything to do with running a business insurance should be another thing there should really only be four or five of them is that is that what you suggest to to your clients well your your admin overheads you know they're another bucket and then you need to sit down and start working out how you then apportion those costs back to other parts of your business um i'll give you an example i worked with a you know a small recruitment company years ago and we were actually creating a profit and loss by recruitment consultant we knew what revenue they're getting per consultant. We knew what the costs were per consultant. And then we were making decisions of how to allocate overhead across them. So if we had some in this office, they get a portion of the rent. If they're working out of a different office, they get a different portion of the rent. And suddenly you're starting to see how much money is that office making for me? How much money is that person making for me? What happens if we um, – are they performing enough? Do we need to um, fire them because they're not performing good enough? All those sort of – so you start making decisions – but everyone has overheads to run a business. But as I said, that just becomes one of those other buckets and then you have to work it. The reality is it's an overhead. Fundamentally, you've got to do what you can for as little money as possible through the process. And with those overheads, you want to try and find ways of saving money. So whether that be shopping around for your insurances, for example, or <clears throat> excuse me, or, uh, or perhaps looking at cheaper rent, um, largely, if you see things start to creep up, another one I like to tell people about is subscription creep, uh, which is all of your little monthly costs, your Dropboxes, your Googles, your Stands, your Netflix, depending on what industry you're in, and those things start to, to accumulate as well. That's probably an annual 
bit of an annual look at really just to see, oh, have I have those things skyrocketed compared to last year and do I need to look at a way of reducing those? They don't really become part of the, the bucket discussion as such, do they? Well, they can. You've got a bucket called overheads and once again, what you can say to your bookkeeper or accountant is, okay, for this line item, I want you to give me a breakdown of everything I spend money on in the last month, six months. And then you look at it and go, do I need to spend money on that or do I not need to spend money on that? And then go, what's the major items? How do I, as you said, how do you get better insurance premiums? Mm. How do you get um, better costs from your service providers, from you know all the other stuff you do? If, if, if you're renting, is it cheaper to, you know, all the rage these days is all these co-working spaces. But it gets to a point where you Not go, in Hornsby, it's not. Well, in the, <laughs> in the city and... In the some, city. In the city, it's a big rage. <laughs> and you get to a point where you go, am I better off being in a my own little office or am I better off being in a co-working spot? So there's different fa- phases you chase. Like if you're, you know, if you're running a small business, you know... Is it better to be in a the garage at the back of your house or is it time now that you need to move into other spaces or can you save money by subletting your space or doing different things through there? That's another thing I'm seeing a lot of these days is people have bigger spaces but let some of it out for, you know other people to come through that. But if you don't actually know and sit down and go, so what, what exactly does this cost me and what exactly am I getting a benefit from this for in, in dollar value, then if you don't have that analysis tool in front of you, it's very difficult to make those decisions as an educated... Well, it's great because if people, like this digital business I was looking at the other day, their profit and loss was two pages long. So if you're a business owner looking at that profit and loss, you're basically overwhelmed. Where do I start? What do I look at? Whereas if we start putting into buckets, you go, okay, this week I'm going to focus on overheads. Just give me the profit and loss for the overheads. You've got a much smaller component you can focus on. You're not so overwhelmed. And you don't have to look at everything every week. You go, okay, I'm going to look at overheads. This week it's insurance and rent. Next month it might be um, accounting fees or whatever else is sitting there in your overheads. But try and chunk it down so you don't get number overwhelmed. Like... Alexi and I, you know, we live in numbers. We can look at numbers and spreadsheets. You know, some of the spreadsheets I've got are pretty big and horrendous, and I can do that. But for most business owners, numbers is not their thing. Mm. And that's the other thing you can do is, you know, ask your bookkeeper to try and get some stuff graphically. You know, I love giving my clients most of their high-level reports are all graphics, and I have traffic lights. A green traffic light means it's good, orange means it's okay, and red means it's bad. And you give that to someone and they go... Wow, I can see something's red traffic light, something's wrong, let's drill down without giving them a spreadsheet full of numbers. It's a really good advice, actually, just so you don't get that feeling of overwhelm, going back to what our program was about last week, is to, I guess, sit there and look at things and chunk it down, like you said. So one one week you might look at a particular bucket, um, but how frequently would you suggest you should look at your numbers? Are we talking like give yourself a little 15-minute meeting with yourself every week, in your opinion? Well, it depends on the business, depends on the numbers. Like at a minimum, you should get something out of your your bookkeeper or your accountant monthly in the buckets and you can start looking at it. And what I'd say is if you get something out there and it all looks, it's all green traffic lights, then you don't have to spend much time. But if you've got something that's a red traffic light, you need to look at it. Now, I'll give an example of another business I work with. They've got a client in there that's you know, been running at a certain margin for a while and we report the margin per clients and per campaigns. Suddenly we started seeing that you know, they've been running at, say, 50% margin. 
then the next month they dropped a 45% margin, then the month after 40% margin. We go, hang on a sec, there's a problem here. Why is the margin decreasing on that particular client in their campaigns? Therefore, you as the business owner, you know, I'd say to the to the, the CEO of that the owner of that business saying, there's a problem here, your margin is falling, you need to go and talk to your team and who's delivering this and selling this is to work out why it's happening. So you may need to spend more that month because your margins drop. But if the margin hadn't dropped, you might have said, okay, it's still 50% or oh, it's 49.6. It's in my bandwidth. I'm happy. Don't have to spend much time. Mm. The aim is really have reports and information in front of you that flag the red traffic lights. Tell you when things are going outside your norm, then you can do something. And the sooner you do that, the better. I think it's really important as well to know um, who you're discussing this with. So you mentioned, you know, this, this particular aspect that is is dropping. Uh, who do you speak to about that? You've got to know which of those staff members is working on that particular bucket so that you're not making it um, a, a, a negative for the entire team that you are able to specify with one person. Listen, you know, we've done the numbers, we've crunched the numbers, this is what's happening, rather than rest of the team thinking as though it's it's their partially their fault as well. Do you think that's another benefit well, of the bucket? Yeah, using the same example, a different client of that same business there, you know, the person who sold the, this particular campaign said the margin was, say, 50%. We did, once the work was finished, the margin came in at 45%. So I said to the to the um, to the business owner, you, you're act- and he said to me, "No, I was told the margin's fifty percent. No, I've got the numbers. It's forty-five. So he's then got to go back and say, did the person sell it wrong, or the person who delivered it get it wrong? The business owner needs to work out who who did what wrong to make sure next time it's done properly. Like the person who sold it might have done everything right, but the person who delivered it might have overpaid for something. But it's a matter of just working through the process and going, and, and that's why." You know, we talk a bit about the beginning about CFOs being typically corporate land. Where the benefit comes from small business owners is actually get someone like me who can help analyse and, and bounce ideas off and look at it to go, that's where the value add is having an outsourced or part-time CFO coming through. If you've got someone who's got the experience and been doing it, like myself, they can look at it and help you analyse it and start asking the right questions. Mm. So we've, we've talked a lot about um, how to look at the numbers and look at business growth and, and how to improve things and where to have the conversations. But after the break, I want to talk to you about um, when to recognise that things are really going downhill uh, and when to recognise that there's a particular aspect of, of, of a business going broken and what to do when you are going broke. Um, you're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and the CRN across the community radio network. This is Alexi Boyd and Small Biz Matters. I'll be back after this. And welcome back in the studio. I'm Alexi Boyd with Small Biz Matters and we are chatting to Wayne Wanders, who is the Wealth Navigator, uh, a virtual CFO who supports small businesses in his role, uh, taking what he learned in the corporate world and assisting small businesses to help their businesses grow. Now, we've been talking in the program about the buckets and uh, this concept where being able to chunk out your business into different buckets and understand where the incomings and the outgoings are for each part of your business growth, which is very important. It's important to know your numbers, but it's also important not to overcomplicate them as well. We're discussing just before the break about uh, making it not too overwhelming, only having a look at your numbers maybe um, once a month and if things are problematic, a little bit more frequently than that. So, You mentioned uh, in some of your experiences, Wayne, that some businesses have this uh, idea in their head about what they think their profitability is. And when they really number crunch, they they realise that it's not what they think it is because they haven't been 
uh, looking at the numbers in a certain way. How do you recognise when things have all gone downhill and it's start to, starting to, to realise um, the reality that you're going broke? What, what do you suggest is the, is the way to, um, to get yourself out of that? The first thing I'd say to most people is the fact that most small business owners, as I said, are great at running their business because they don't understand the numbers. They're very poor at managing their cash flow. Just about the most common thing I do with when I get a new client is actually sit down and do a cash flow forecast for them because that basically then lets them go, okay, am I running into a problem where I'm going to have a cash flow um, window where I'm not going to have enough money? Because if you knew today that you're going to have a cash flow problem in six months' time, isn't it better today to know about it? And it's actually quite funny. We're talking in the middle of January. And for the typical small Australian business, guess what? January is your baddest month for cash flow. I'd bet that probably 80% of the small business owners out there at the moment are watching their cash flow this month because they've got, they may have had a great lead up to Christmas, but the customers, typically small business gets shafted before Christmas. Big businesses don't pay them. They go, we want, a big, we want cash in our balance sheet for December, so we won't pay them pre-Christmas. Oh, and by the way, we're all on holidays to the end of January, so no one pays you to the end of January. But if you know that and you've got a cash flow forecast that says, I'm going to be tight in the middle of January, what do I do? What steps can I do? How do I reduce my cash burn so that I've got money to pay what I need to do? And that's the typical thing I find is if people don't actually have that cash flow projection, they don't know when they're going to potentially have a window. Is it just as simple as looking at a 12 months, your last 12 months and saying um, of the profitability of each of those months, was January clearly a really low month? Most business owners will know if they've got very little cash in January because they've been through it time and time. It's, it's, unfortunately, that's the Australian cycle. You know? there, there is some small businesses who have a great month in January, but there's a lot of them where business slows down, they're trying to have a holiday, and at the same time, cash slows down. And different things happen. Um, you just got to work out how it comes through through the process. Looking at what's happened in the last 12 months, like I always go back to the last 12 months, two years to get an idea of what's happened historically so that when I'm projecting forward, I've got an idea, am I being realistic? Are we being realistic or is the business owner being too aggressive? And what can the business owner do if they're realising, you know, the reality is they're going broke? Well, let's say they're going to have a... Let's let's take now, it's January, and you're sitting there going, oh, hang on a sec, I'm going to be really tight for cash this month. And I really had a great December and I've got this huge bass due next month. And But the problem is, if I pay my bass, I'm not going to be able to pay my staff. So what they can do today is go, okay, why don't we call... You've had the ATO on. Call the ATO... Like, some people say the ATO are not really nice people. But if you get on the front foot with the ATO and say, listen, I've got a problem in, in this month because I've had a really great December quarter. I've got a really big bass bill due to you guys, but I'm having a really slow January... And I'm not going to be able to pay... I don't think I'm going to be able to pay my bass bill when it comes through in, in February. Can we get a payment arrangement in place? Now, if you get on the phone on the front foot, suddenly you can go, OK, rather than having to pay 30 grand to the ATO in February, maybe it's 10 grand, 10 grand, 10 grand. It can even be extended out over two years. Oh, yeah. I've had clients that have gone out three, four years. But do bear in mind that once you've got one arrangement in place for a bass, you can't keep adding on to that. 
There's so b- pick and choose which one that you want to have on the arrangement. Make sure it's the biggest one. And often it is because it's the December quarter for the majority of businesses. Like you said, it's the corporates trying to squish in uh, as many uh, as many expenses as they can before their money runs out in the end of the year um, if they're on that sort of cycle. Or it might be the June cycle. So they, they t- you tend to sort of have big months around that period of time, which means that you've got a big bass bill. Yeah, but it may not be the ATO, it may be someone else. But if you can sit down there and work, if you know that you're going to have a problem and if you know two or three weeks ahead, you've got two or three weeks' time to run around. If you work out the day before your bass is due that you're not going to be able to pay it, running around on that last day trying to sort it out is a nightmare. And to be late is even worse. Correct. Yeah, so you're not going to get on the front foot if you're already on the back foot, <laughs> particularly with people like the ATO. But you're right, knowing your numbers in advance, understanding when your when your bigger periods are and then um, requesting that extension is, is a great way to, to improve cash flow because they're... The, re- the reality is that's your biggest bill from, yeah. from month to month. Those, those bills are, are pretty, pretty big for a, for a business. Um, another great thing to do as well is, is to not even think of that money as your own to begin with. So to have a super tax and GST account, which is completely separate to your incomings and outgoings, and each time you get a large invoice paid, you put away 10% automatically. And the nice thing about that, I find, is that a lot of people say, oh, at the end of that, I get a little bit of a bonus because I've managed to, you know, expense a, a number of GST expenses as well. So I get a little bit of that money back. Yeah, people can do that. But, you know, a lot of the time people just, you know, they go, I've got one bank account. There's so much stuff going through it that they don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to sort of, you have to work within the reality of those things as well. So you're looking at your numbers, you're realising that you're having a particularly bad time, but the, but the numbers keep on going down. Uh, is it, what, I don't, I haven't been in this experience before, but how do you recognise when a business is going, going broke and, and what to do about it? Do you need to start thinking about winding things up? How do you look at it from a well, CFO perspective? The best thing here about the buckets is if you've got, say, you know, four different segments of your business and you've got your revenue and your cost per each of those businesses worked out, Typically, you get, as I said before, 20% of your business makes 80% of your profit. So if things are not going good, what you've got to work out is what's the 80% of your business that's not making money for you and make a decision about what you want to do it. Maybe it's that customer that you no longer want. Like sometimes, you know, people don't want to lose customers, but sometimes you might say, well, I've got this customer, but I'm actually losing money by having this customer. So what you do there is you do a couple of things. If you've got a customer, you do your buckets and you say, in this area, I'm not making enough money. It's starting to cost me money. So first decision you make, okay, maybe I want to get out of that segment, but hang on, let's do a step before it. Why don't we start, we'll increase the prices of everything in that sector, in that bucket. So we're going to put the prices up 10%, 20%, whatever it is. If a customer goes, you go, well, who cares? I was losing money anyway. If they stay, oh, hang on a sec, I'm now going to start making money from them. So you start going, okay, I'm losing money in that sector. First thing I do is put your prices up straight away. Small business are uh, horrendous at increasing prices. And actually, in fact, that's the worst thing a small business can do. If you don't increase your prices for three years, you've suddenly got to put them up 15%. If you put them up 2% every six months, no one blinks. But putting them up 15 or 12% at the end of the third year, they're going to go, whoa, and walk away from you. That's a typical example. So if you've got a segment that's going broke, start increasing prices. Look at how you reduce your costs. And then work out how you get rid of customers or do you shut down that part of the business. 
Because there's going to be 20% of your business that's giving you 80% of the money. So you want to find out, you use the buckets to find out what that 20% is. It may be a sector of your business. It may be some customers. That's why I'm saying the buckets can change. For some people, the buckets of customer groups. For some people, it's sectors of business. Work out what that 20% is giving you the money. And then for the 80%, work out how you either shut that down or that 80% starts making you more money. It's, it's really good advice, actually, because I like the fact that, you know, the buckets are not this strictly project-based idea, uh, but actually they could be, like you said, they could be a particular client, they could be a, a, a sector of your business, the, a particular way that you're making a revenue stream compared with another way, or they could be seasonality as well. You know that if you're if you're if you work quite a lot within the seasons and Christmas is a massive time, then you know that that eighty percent of revenue is going to come around the Christmas season. So what can you do at other p- times of the year, or what are you flogging <laughs> the other times of the year that are just not working? But like you said, I think the takeaway from today is that you're not going to know what your business is doing unless, in some way, you do know those numbers. You have to have the information in those buckets. Without it, you are flying blind. You, are, you can make business decisions, but you've got no real idea what your business decisions are doing. By breaking it down into these buckets, whatever the right buckets for you are, you can see what parts of your business are making money. And then when you make decisions, you can measure against that to say, I made a decision to do X. What does that do? Like, let's say you put your prices up 20%, and then you measure it and go hang on a sec, it's still not making enough money for me. What do I do? Okay, how do I reduce costs? Or you put the prices up 20% and suddenly, oh, suddenly this this bucket's now making more money for me. I want to keep that bucket. But without having the buckets to measure against, you've got no idea what you're doing. Look, that's a fantastic way to end the program today. There's a lot we've taken away today. It's um, My brain is full. There's a lot of buckets in my brain. They're different colours. Um, and sometimes they're sitting in an Excel spreadsheet, but sometimes they're just floating around being buckets. I wanted to thank you today for introducing this wonderful concept. It really helps to, I think... Um, help businesses understand where growth and sometimes deterioration can come from. Now, how can people find out a little bit more about you and what it is you do, Wayne? The easiest way to find me is go visit my website. So it's www.arealcfo.com.au. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on the program today. Uh, You've been listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. We'll be back next week with another excellent guest, of course. And if you have missed any of today's program, you can catch up via iTunes where the full podcast is available in about a week's time, as well as uh, smallbizmatters.com.au. And if you've got something you'd like to share with your listeners, some small business expertise, perhaps get in touch. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, and we're, of course, available via the website. Thank you again for coming to the show, Wayne. Thank you, Alexi, for having me. And hopefully the business owners out there can start thinking about buckets and improve the profitability of their business. Thanks again. We'll see you all next week on Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd.